<laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I saw a wonderful thing. While you're turning to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to take a break from Colossians. There we go. That's good. Take a break from Colossians. We turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to mention, I was watching a show the other day, and, and this is how I liken uh, mentorship. It was probably the greatest example of mentoring I've seen on a TV screen. And it was a show where it was talking about these climbers. And it hadn't been any of the ones I've kind of been talking about lately, but it was a different one me and uh, Joy had watched the other night. And this guy has been climbing his whole life. They had actually called him uh, the, like the most saddest man on earth. And the reason why everybody that has been his climbing partner, he's reached an age in his 50s now uh, where everybody that he's ever climbed with that were his partners, because nobody climbs alone, but all these partners that he had, they're all dead. They all went off and did their own things, and they're dead because accidents happen while you climb kind of stuff. And so he's kind of a last man standing. But over the last years, or 10 years or so, he's had a new climbing partner. Uh, uh, and this new climbing partner, he's been with him this entire time. Well, as an older guy, he's had a few mountains that have gotten the best of him. And they've kind of are things he wants to go after. Well, he decides he's going to go after this thing, right? The first time they go up, they get 500 feet from the top, but because of storms and everything else, they're missing on food. It's 20,000 feet to the top of this thing, and they're climbing sheer cliffs with ice axes and all this other stuff. It's crazy stuff, right? And they literally uh, talk about it. They get so close, but they have to come down because uh, 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 they're, they're so cold. You know, they're starting to get the beginning of frostbite on their toes and hands that they literally were like, after the coming down, they spent a week in a wheelchair, you know? They decide they want to do this again, ten, I think it was like 10 years later, almost, no, three years later, right? They're going to go back out and do this. Everything goes perfect. All conditions are perfect. And as they're getting to the top, this is the part that like, makes me get emotional or whatever as a mentor, right? The mentor is there. This is his dream, the mentor's dream, to get up this hill, right? To get up this mountain, 20,000 feet. He's two or 300 feet from the top, right? And at this moment, this guy who's been with him for 10 years... And he's like the lackey. Although they're equal and climbing is just as good, he's been the guy just learning from the older guy. And it's this awesome part. This is the best example. He looks down and he goes, it's your turn. And he platforms him. And he helps him up. And he pushes him to the top. This thing that he wants is just above him. And if anybody deserves to go to the top, he does. He's wanted this so bad. But in this moment, he says, I'm going to take this kid who I've had for 10 years learning everything I could teach, and I'm going to send him up something that he knows is special to me, and he'll be the first one to the top. It's his turn now. And this is some of the hardest climbing. He goes, he knows everything he needs to know. I've got him on belay. It's going to be fine. If anything happens, we've got each other. But he sends him up, and that guy just bawls his eyes out when he gets to the top because he knows how special it is to his mentor. And just like that, the torch is passed. Just like that. That's what we do with our kids. That's what we do with our youth. That's what we do with our children. Like, we have goals that we want to get to. But man, when we carry somebody for that long, we want to see them propelled. We want to see that they go heights that we haven't gone yet. Right? And eventually what happens? He gets to the top and belays the other guy up. So he climbs the rest of the way. He still gets to the top. But he let the next generation help him get there. You know, and that lesson that happened, amazing. Dude, it's one of the best probably shows or TVs, things I've ever seen about mentorship. It's, it's incredible, incredible. There's an old song. We're going to sing it. Uh, 
today, um, that came out of the vineyard churches back in the 90s. And I remember singing uh, in different churches, and it's always uh, stuck with me. It was called Refiner's Fire. Anybody remember that? A Refiner's Fire. The lyrics were simple. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as pure gold. Pure gold. Refiner's Fire. My heart's one desire. Remember this one? Is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord, right? I choose to be holy and set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will, right? Right now, we've kind of been in this, we're, we're in this transitional moment in ministry here. We're in the middle of this remodel. It's, it's, it's stretching us a little bit, uh, uh, and, and we need some help with some ministry duties right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. I know you sense the frustration from me. I, I know that. I am frustrated a little, but I have found myself leaning on the Lord in this moment. And as I begin to lean on Him over the last couple of weeks, knowing what we were driving towards with giving Joy some time off and looking for some help and having having to go through the pains of trying to find somebody to bring them in and develop uh, this team, I found myself really leaning, just leaning into God, praying more and, and listening to worship more and listening to uh, 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 ministers even more, man, give, give a good word, you know, on how to, how to go through things and stuff. And so I found myself very encouraged, right? And, and I've, I've reminded myself that while the refiner's fire uh, is what, uh, it always sounds good. When I sing the song, I think, oh, that sounds so good. Make me as gold, make me as pure gold, right? Uh, but then I think about it. Fire is not nice. Like, I met Tristan, and he went to Faith Academy his whole life, and fire made him say words that I haven't heard since I was in my 20s, all right? I mean, like, fire uh, is not sweet. It sounds cool when we sing it. We're like, oh, yeah, the refiner's fire. That's what we need. Uh, you realize that's going to burn you, right? F refiner's fire is not actually a sweet moment. It's not actually a very nice or even friendly moment. Fire burns. It, what they're talking about there is it burns away impurities. And when we talk about gold, they say like the melting point's like a couple thousand degrees where all the impurities are finally completely destroyed and then you just get this pure gold, right? But that means you got to go through almost getting all the impurities completely destroyed. It's, and what is that? It's, well, for us, that's adversity, that's difficulty, it's hardship. And every time we come across this refiner's fire, what we end up developing or what we end up seeing, whether we like it or not, is our own character. Who we are. Who we are. This morning, I, I want to take a break from our journey through Colossians to talk about how we face adversity. I want to talk about the refiner's fire and what it looks like in our lives. You know, adversity never shows up when we want it to, amen? But it never has a problem finding us either. Mm. Everyone in this building's had to face hard times. Everyone in this building's had difficulties. It forges us, Right? It, it, it defines us at times, and how we handle it says more about who we are uh, as a part and our part to play in all of this. It tells us a lot, right? So I want to begin this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 30, um, and I'm going to give you a bit of background as to what's happening uh, so we can stay in context as we begin to read. So most of you, uh, and we're, don't turn to chapter 29 yet, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 30 is where we're at. Don't turn to 29 yet, but most of you know the story of David, how David became king, right? Jealousy has weakened King Saul, and now his greatest warrior, David, is working for the enemy, the Philistines. That's a whole message in itself when we don't take serious the next generation. 
people. We don't take what gifts they have seriously. You know what they end up doing? They take it to whoever wants it. And by the way, guys, make no mistake, the devil wants our kids. And he wants the gifts that God's given our kids to use for his glory rather than God's. Make no mistake. There's a whole sermon there, right? In chapter 29, the Philistines now, they're planning an attack on Israel, right? But there's some concern amongst the the generals about whether David's loyalty uh, is all there. Should David join them? Now, the scriptures tell us that David would have rode into battle with the Philistines, but the other generals there in the Philistine army, they were so sure that David would betray them, so they protested against the king about David joining them at all. And the king kind of relents because these are his guys after all. And uh, because of their crying, he basically sends David home. And it's a three-day journey. Uh, back home. Now, before we begin, remember David is prosperous. Even though he's on the run from Saul, uh, he has a big family, okay? He has loyal men and friends. Uh, uh, He's doing financially well. You know, he's well-to-do. They've got a whole town kind of to themselves. Uh, Things are generally good. God has even saw to it that he wouldn't even have to fight Saul in this moment, right? So it's even especially good because you know he loves Saul and he loves Jonathan. But can you see them pitched against each other? He says, I would have because, listen, you've taken care of me so well, I would have done it. That's what he tells the Philistine king. But let's be honest, we know in his heart he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be against him. And so God has kind of arranged this where he wouldn't have to fight against Saul. And and I'm sure he's glad he doesn't have to. So things... Things are good until they're not, right? Right? Things are good. I don't have to fight my friends. I'm prosperous. I have a good family. I have lots of friends. Things are going good in my life. It's not as best as it could be, but it's not horrible, right? Things are good until they're not. 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 5. Three days later, when David and his men arrived at home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag, and they crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everything else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, or among those that were captured. We'll stop right there. So from peace, which was relatively peaceful, now to distress. In just a few days, David's world is upside down. How many of you know like that kind of stuff, right? Like everything was good, and then it turned Monday, right? I'm not as good as Michael's dad, who always loved to say happy Monday, right? Monday, right? David is now in crisis mode. His home is plundered. It's been looted, right? His wives and his children have been taken. They're slaves now of a whole nother race of people. And to make matters worse, so is all his friends. <laughs> like all the guys who are loyal to you just lost everything they had too because you took them to someplace else, right? These men who placed all their trust in David's leadership are not really yet the mighty men that we would come to read about, right? At this point, they're still just ragamuffins, and a lot of them are outlaws. Let's just be honest. They've been kicked out or had to escape their homelands due to personal issues. They've had to live on the run with David. Why? Because David has this thing going on with Saul, right? (laughs) You know, where he has to spend years, you know, Saul spends years trying to hunt David down, Right? They are now working and living under the house of what is their former enemy, the Philistines. 
It's not ideal. And now on top of all of that, they return to five, their wives and their children and everything else gone. I mean, in one day they lost everything they had. It's not just about losing your stuff. When you start to lose your family, right, that's a whole nother line of desperate. Whole nother line of desperate. And that's painful. And yet those are the facts of this story. That's the facts. Let me ask you a question. What would you do? How would you respond to such a travesty? And it's there, right there, where we face the fiery crucible of leadership. How do you respond, man? How do you lead that? Do you lead in anger? You know, let's just go. We're beating everybody up. Wait a minute. What are we walking into? You know, are you, are you, could you be calm in that moment? You're emotionally compromised, right? This is where we face the crucible of leadership. We are never uh, uh, scrutinized in times of peace. When it's peaceful, nobody's upset. But in times of hardship, this is where you find out who you are. And this is where David finds himself. Can I tell you the first thing we have to do in times like this when things get hard, when it's, when it's hard, is first of all, we have to handle the facts with faith. You, 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 can't, you have to look at things. You have to calm yourself down and begin to look at what are the facts? What is, what is the truth here? And it, because here's the thing, and I've learned, and, and, and if you're a veteran, you probably know this, fear will always tell you that everything is dire and fatal. Come on, man. When you're scared, it's horrible. I'm scared of heights, and I'm getting ready to go climb this mountain. Every time I watch anything of heights, I tell Joy, I can feel my legs shaking. I'm sitting on my couch, and my brain is like, mm-mm. And the whole time, I know what's coming, and I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around it. Fear makes me think awful things that hadn't even happened, right? But my legs feel like, oh, they already are. I don't know what's going on there, but that, that is, right? Fear always tells you things are worse than they are. And fear has a way of adding, right, like 100 more pounds on an already heavy issue. If it's hard, if you're scared, it's even harder. Fear works to destroy our faith. It works against it, right? However, we have to remember who we belong to. In that moment, we have to know who we hope in, who lives in us, right? We combat fear with faith. That's what we do, right? That's what we do. Isaiah 41.10, God reminds us through Isaiah, don't be afraid. I am with you. God says, don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Remember I don't care what the facts say. You handle facts with faith. If if you're handling them with faith, faith will combat the fear of the facts, right? It's it's the only way, right? And how how is this achieved? How do we do this? How do we step into this place? Well, well, how can I combat fear? There's things that I'm scared of, scared of things for my kid. Reagan's going off to college, and I'm going to tell you, uh, it's not, uh, you know, Texas Tech is not known for its biblical Christianity uh, hard line there, all right? It's just not known for that. Heck, man, there's some Christian schools like Baylor that are not known for its Christian biblical background, all right? So, like, I, I, you send your kid off into the world, like scared to death. Fear tells me, my gosh, they're going to overwhelm her. They're gonna, I mean, and I like, Lord, protect her, right? I mean, it makes me want to pray more, right? And that leads us uh, to how we combat. How do we maintain that attitude where we have faith in the middle of fear? How do we have faith when the facts say everything is against us, right? Listen, look at verse 6 there. Look at verse 6, 1 Samuel 
30 verse 6, David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. It's understandable. They began to talk of stoning him, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So what did David do when hard times came and when they're right there on his doorstep, when everybody hates him all of a sudden, right? He's David, the awesome guy who's killed his 10,000s until you lose everything you got hanging out with David and your family and all your money. And now David's the most hated guy. on. The, I mean, it's like a bipolar friendship, isn't it? It's funny how your family can go with, I love you, to I hate you real quick. What did he do? He turned to the Lord and he prayed. The ephod was something that the priests wore, so it's strange to see David with it. But what I love about it, he was like, well, I'm going to show you how we follow the Lord. I'm the priest of this group. I'm going to be the holy person of this group, and I'm going to go to the Lord, and I'm going to seek the Lord with my face, and I'm going to ask God what should we do. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, answers, honestly, as a pastor. Uh, the other day, as I was, I was navigating how we were going to transition to having a team and bringing some other pastors in, and I was talking to my mentor, the first thing he says, what did the Lord say? Great answer. Great. That's a great question. I mean, because honestly, what is, the, what is any person of God supposed to do when they have questions? You ask the Lord, right? What am I going to tell you? You're going to go just off what I say? Now, I know the Lord can use people, but I'm going to tell you what, God can talk to you too. So he turns and he, and he prays to the Lord. Listen, our faith is directly tied to our relationship to God. People who struggle with faith, they're struggling in their relationship with the Lord. You can't have a relationship with God if you do not pray, period. Reason is simple. Relationship requires communication. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, we're celebrating 23 years of marriage. We've been together for 25 years. Uh, it don't make it if there's nobody talking. You have to talk back and forth. There has to be communication for marriages to exist. For you to continue on and continue to make it, you have to talk. It's easy to do when things are easy, but what do you do when times get hard? Do you press in, right, or do you give up? When times are hard, do you shine or do you shy away, right? When David was faced with an overwhelming issue, he found solace, he found strength in the Lord. When he prayed, his connectionship with God began to build him up, right? And that's not unfounded. Actually, it's actually repeated quite a bit by other leaders in the Bible. Moses found this to be true, Exodus 15:2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Nehemiah, who led into the wall. We've been talking about him on Wednesday. Nehemiah found this to be true. Nehemiah 8.10. Don't be dejected or sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you feel down, when you feel weak, no matter how hard things get, no matter how troubled times can be, go to the Lord. In the Lord, you will find strength. In the Lord, you will find joy. In the Lord, you will find peace. David focused in on the Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. He had faith in the Lord. And the more we pray and we spend time with God, the easier this becomes. 
This is so important. Let me tell you why. I have found that in the Bible, we're only really presented with two choices when it comes to crisis-type moments. Two choices. Only thing I can find. All right? We can either fight and advance, or we can stand our ground. That's it. I don't see, like, a biblical retreat anywhere. <laughs> All right? I just, I, I, if, if there's one, you might have to bring it to me, but I've never seen the part where, like, God said, flee. And in that fleeing, we're going to give up all the ground. That da, da, da. Listen, usually when that's happening is sin. Sin's involved, and God's usually telling them, it's going to be this way because you're not right. Things aren't right with you, you know? We can either fight and advance, or we can stand our ground. Those are the only two choices I can see. And how do you know which one to make? How do you know which choice? How do you know when this is not the time to fight and advance, this is the time to stand? Or how, how do we know we can't stand anymore, it's time to fight? Like, how do you know which one's which? Well, you pray like David prayed. That's what you do. You seek the face of God for an answer. I'm also convinced that David would have laid prostate for days in prayer if he hadn't got an immediate answer. That's where some of us fail. That is where some of us fail. David was more committed to prayer than I've ever seen anybody that I've ever known in ministry. All right. There's a story where David uh, had his first child with Bathsheba. Uh, some of you know the story, right? The child dies, right? But before it dies, the Bible actually records David being so uh, adamant about praying for its healing and its recovery. It says that he laid prostate, laid on the floor for seven days fasting. Never took a shower, never did eat, stayed on the floor. Seven days. I've never seen that before. I've seen a lot of people fast, but they fast like they fast like we all diet. You know, we kind of cheated a little bit, you know. Like, I, it's so funny to me when we talk about the Daniel's fast, and then we have this list, and we get it borderline close to what is Daniel's fast and what is not Daniel's fast. You know, we ne we're never, like, really, like, fasting sometimes. I think some of it wants to be genuine. But like when you read how they fasted in the Old Testament, like when we look at how Daniel fasted and what he was fasting for, I mean, it was all, he, Daniel prayed like nobody else prayed. Daniel's one of the few people that it talks about. You never hear about him sinning. And you got to think all that prayer and fasting is probably why he wasn't sinning a whole lot. And you look at David and how David prays, it eclipses what most people experience. You wonder why he's the man after God's own heart? You wonder why he had such favor with the Lord and God answered him? How many times have you prayed for seven days prostrate on the floor? How many times have you prayed for things like this in these moments and God spoke to you? Well, the reason why is because look who's writing worship music in their spare time. Oh, he's king. He's killed his tens of thousands. He's been on the run. He, I mean, he has to go through horrible stuff with Absalom. Uh, he, he, he has to, he's, he's working for the Philistines. And somewhere amongst all that time, David's over there with the harp, right, singing worship music, and we get half the Psalms. What? Like, when you got time for all this? Right? I mean, like David, you're, he's like doing all these things. He's the musician, but he's also the warrior, right? He's the poet, but he's also the king. You know, David, and you know, and one day he was just the shepherd boy. I got to think that that's where a lot of songs started. Kind of lonely out there, you know? Been told he's the runt his whole life. Can't imagine they were a fan of his singing too much either, right? But this is how it got. He, knew God because he spent a lot of time with God. And when he wasn't spending time praying to God, he was singing to God. He was always about God. We wonder why David was so favored. and What could we do to get that favor? Well, we spend time with the Lord. David shows us that, right? David shows us what happens when he doesn't get an immediate answer. He just keeps laying there until it happens. 
Well, the child dies. Well, there's your answer, David. And it says, David got up and washed himself. And they were like, what? What? He goes, well, that's the answer. I prayed that if with everything within me, that if this child could live, he would live. And if he died, well, then there's what's there to pray for? I'll see him in the next life. But he faithful. He's followed through, right? When adversity comes, listen, guys, and it will. It's important to already have a relationship with God on a whole nother level, right? And not to all of a sudden need one, right? It's important to live with your eyes fixed on the Lord rather than wait until we just desperately need something from him. How shallow of a relationship to only call upon someone when you need their help, right? How many of you got that relative, right, or that friend that you never hear from until they need money, right? They're like, hey, Pastor Jim, yeah, I hadn't seen you in a while. In a while, it's been like six years. Well, you know, times are hard right now. When? Like, what year were they hard? You know, ah, but I just, we're hurting, and you know, we would be at church, but it's been six years. Don't say stuff like that, right? I mean, like, we all know somebody. It's like, they got a million excuses, but this is why they need help right now. And they're calling you because they know that you're Christ, right? They do. They know that you'll have grace. They know that you'll have compassion because you're the closest thing they see to Jesus, right? But the same way, like in the same way sometimes, we're, we're guilty of just, even as Christians sitting in here, we love God and we care about the Lord and we care about other Christians, but sometimes we're lazy about how we seek things from God. Well, God's not really not answering. Yeah, but what's your daily life been like? Do you read your Bible every day? Do you pray every day? What's your relationship like? Are you just only calling God? Up? Like, I know you're coming to his church and you're being faithful in attendance, but are you being faithful as a follower? Are you a faithful friend? Are you a faithful son? Are you a faithful daughter? You know, I, I call my parents once a week at least. I mean, and that's just my parents, right? I mean, God is supposed to be with us every day. We should be talking to him on a daily basis. The more we talk to him, the more we'll recognize his voice when he's speaking so that we'll know the difference between that inner voice that we have and then the one God is. We all know people like that, right? But, but we are to be a people that knows their God, right? That we actively know our God. That because we're in constant conversation, we're in constant communication with God through prayer. This is the mark of the true Christian follower. I mean, I'm going to tell you, like when you start to look at uh, uh, Tozer and Ravenhill and Wilkerson and even the, the really the grace guys that I would say like... Uh, uh, what's the ragamuffin? Uh, 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 yeah, Brennan Manning, even he would say it. Are you even saved if you don't pray? That's what they would say. Are you even saved? I mean, even, even salvation come through what? By your lips praying to the Lord that he would come inside and change you, that you repent, and through repentance you now receive, right? Even that is prayer. If you are not praying, are you saved? I mean, that, that becomes a question that really a lot of theologians talk about, right? Let's look back at our text, First um, Samuel 39 through 10. So David and his 600 men set out. They came to the brook Besor, but 200 of his men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men, right? This is also good to remember. We rarely are alone in our lives. People always think they are. It's funny to me. It was like, oh, he was so lonely. He, everybody has friends. You know, one thing I learned as a youth pastor, even the emo kids who are supposed to be the big, depressed, emotional ones, they all have other emo kid friends, okay? Everybody has friends, but it, I also know what it's like to have all these friends and you still feel like you're alone, 
That's true too. But God often gives us people in our lives, right? He purposely puts people around us to help us, to inspire us, to encourage us. In this case, David was amassed by an army of individuals that were just like him. They were just like him. They were nomadic. Many of them were on the run, just like he was. And yet God sent them to David. They were his family. And listen, how many, this is the amen part right here. Family isn't easy. Family isn't easy. We're all, we are all, we can be tied by bloodline, but we're all different. I mean, I've seen some families like, you know, they got like that one person that's like, man, this guy's got it. I don't know where he got it from any of that family, but this is the guy, right? Like this guy is like, how did, how are you part of this family? Like that, that doesn't even compute. Like, did you hang out with another family? Because you look nothing like the rest of your family. You act nothing like them, right? I mean, there's always, it's neat how families are, right? They're, they're different, right? The, but, but listen, make no mistake, families face adversity just like an indie, any individual would, period, right? Families can love, and they can also get angry. Families can get mad. They create feuds, and it goes on for years. But one thing's for sure, make no mistake about this, you need help in life. God sends you people in your life, and they become your family. They do. I can tell you, as someone who moved to Marvel Falls and knew no one, little by little, God began to create this family for us. And like even when we started here with just the few people that started with us, they've become our family. Guess where I spend Christmases with? With, with you. Guess where, I, guess where I spend like uh, holidays and Thanksgivings and stuff? M- mainly with you because you become my family. You become my family, man. God sends us families and sometimes... Not all families are blood-related. That's just how it is. God sends you others, right? Pastor Gerald Brooks, a pastor of uh, Grace Outreach, and probably one of the best teachers on leadership, teaches that when times are hard and difficult, it's important to find a team and just spend time practicing the fundamentals of our faith. What do you think we're doing here? That's what we're doing, right? In this way, when adversity arrives at your front door, you have a support network of people that are willing to pray and help you through it. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we find with the church? Right? We, what do we do? Well, we practice the fundamentals so that when adversity comes, right, we go through the, the fundamentals. Well, are we praying, right? Because if we're praying, we're connecting with God. If we're connected with God, then we're hopeful because our faith now is combating the facts and our faith now is combating the fear of things. And it's being reinforced. Why? Because the family God's placed around me is going, God is with you. God can help you. Man, keep praying. Keep walking the line. Keep doing it. And they cheerlead you. They cheerlead you. Right? We need each other to survive the things that are going to be thrown at us. Yes, there's going to be hard times. But the answer is that we have each other. And when one of us is down, God uses other people around you to encourage you and lift you up. Nothing is more true in my house or in my family than me and my wife on that end. Right? If she's having a bad day, I don't know why, but God gives me a good one. I think it's just to make her bad day a good one. And I stay, like when she's having a very rough day or bad day, you know what I end up doing? All the dishes, all the laundry. She probably prays for more bad days, you know? She probably fakes a few of those, you know? Right? Because all of a sudden the laundry gets done. I'm like doing all the dishes. I'm I'm making sure that I'm mowing. Uh, Here lately, uh, you know, I know that she'd been taxed by two jobs, so I'm out there cleaning toilets. Oh my gosh. 
Uh, listen, it's one thing cleaning your toilets, another thing cleaning a public one, thank you. And, uh, it, and, and then like, you know, trying to do half this other job uh, for her so that she can come home and not have to work a second job, so to speak, right? Because when she's down, I've got to be up so that I can encourage her, I can build her up, I can speak words of life in her and shift her attitude. Can I tell you, when it's the opposite, if I start getting to where I'm like, I'm struggling, and she'll be able to tell, and then she gets all happy all of a sudden and starts like being all nice and, oh, let me do this for you. No, 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 I'll do that. No, no, no. And, 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 uh, and then it's funny because, you know, the, the play on a relationship is funny. She's like, well, come on. Like, like uh, it's my turn to be depressed now. You know, so that you'll do all the stuff and you'll become that person. Like, it's funny how it, it, we, we understand that part of each other, that we balance each other out. No relationship can. Listen, families have to do that, right? Let me tell you, even the pastor struggles here. And when I do, this is where your job is to come in and go, hey, pastor, we're cheerleading on you too, you know? Just like when you're having bad times, my job is to come in and cheerlead you. I'm, I'm encouraging. I want to, to believe that the Lord will do the things he said he will do because I've seen it in my own life and he, God uses you to do that for me. Right? And in that way, we bear witness to each other that Christ is alive. Right? God uses other people around you to help you. This is the power of what was the plan of God since the beginning of time. And Jesus called it the church. Last thing, and then we'll wrap it up. First Samuel 30, verse 11. We're going to run down to verse 25, maybe. <coughs> Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field. They brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat, water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. But long, uh, before long, his strength returns. To whom do you belong? Where do you come from? David asked him. Well, I'm an Egyptian, the slave and an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites in Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we just burned Ziglag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, well, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and he found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, and they're eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of their livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besor, and he met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers amongst David's men says, well, they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. And David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe, and he helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made the decree and regulation for Israel, and it's still followed today. So David prays, and he receives the answer to fight, and so he fights. 
Everything that God tells him in prayer comes to pass. His wives and kids, they're alive as well, and everyone else's is also. All of the property is returned as well. It's an overwhelming victory. However, there's something more here uh, uh, from the man of God's own heart. David doesn't allow the victory to just be his. No, man, he shares it. He shares it, right? It's everyone's victory. If David wins, everybody wins, right? What a great lesson. When one of us is hurt, we all share the burden. We all share the load. We all help. When one of us gets victory, guess what? We all share in the victory as well. It's all of ours, right? This is the glory of the church. We live together, right? We hurt together. We fight together. We stand together. We work together. We pursue Jesus together. This is the church in action, right? She doesn't need a building because she already has one within you, within you, right? Within your flesh and blood. When we come together, people see the church. And when people see the church, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. So let me, let me just talk to you, just a real quick takeaways, right? Just a few things that I'm, I want to make points and just remind you before we get ready for worship. And we'll sing like another song and then we'll, we'll call it this morning. If we're going back and look at it, how we, how we navigate through this part, the, the leading when, it's, when times get harder, when things are harder, you're going through difficulties in your life, or, or I mean, everybody's something, whether it's a medical issue. I've seen a lot of medical issues lately, a lot of funerals lately. Uh, I've seen, uh, um, you know, there's different churches struggling with different things. There's pastors who are struggling all the time. There's churches around here that are in the middle of some pretty great struggles right now. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things happening. Anytime uh, um, we're faced with some hard times, first of all, what are the facts? You know, let's. There's a lot of word. There's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of rumor. What are the facts? And no matter what the facts are, we face all facts in faith. Right. The second thing is we don't let fear conquer us. No, that's the whole point of faith. We we allow faith to work, and faith will conquer all fear. Right. When we, when, how do we do that? Well, we, we pray. We pray. I beat the drums of prayer. I think I've spent more time talking about prayer. If somebody was going to define anything I did in ministry, it would probably be that. You know, it'd be prayer. Because why? Because prayer is where faith comes from. You want to combat, you want to, no matter what the facts are, no matter how much that leads you to fear, how do we combat that? We combat it in faith. You want more faith? Pray. The closer you are to knowing your God, right, the more sure you are of who he is, what he's capable of, what he can do, right? You're, you're, you're more sure of his omnipotent, his omnipresent. And if the more sure you become, the greater your faith is. You tend to want to step out more. You tend to take risks more. Why? Because you know you're God, right? That's faith. That's what that is. You're less scared because when you compare fear to the Lord, it's not even close on the balance scale. It's not even close, right? So we draw strength from the Lord through prayer. And you know what happens, how that, how that works? God sends others, right? Going to help you out. For David, he had the priest at least, the guys who were going to count on God. These guys, let's bring the ephod to David. Why? Because we're going to pray now. It's the time to pray. It's not the time to advance. It's the time to, first of all, just ask God what's going on. Did something happen within us? Like, remember the story of Joshua, right? And sin is in the camp. You know, it's not like he went out, hey, man, let's just keep fighting. Hey, we lost this one, Right? God's been telling us to go that we would be faith, that everything was going to work out good. We took him at his word. Well, the first fight they lost, guess what they, guess what they learned? They didn't go, well, let's just keep fighting. All right? That would have been dumb. No, they sought the Lord. The Lord said there's sin in the camp. 
right? Then becomes the hunt for who is the one that's causing all the problems, right? <laughs> but they knew God. They trusted God. And if something was wrong, they knew something had to be wrong with them, right? I mean, because they knew God. They knew God, right? God sends us in the help of others. He puts people around us who are going to build us up, who are going to cheerlead us on, right? Who are going to send us out. Always, as a pastor, one of the things we always hear is this, is that uh, the pastor is the gift to God's church. But the people are always God's gift to the pastor. Make no mistake, it's a a two-way street there. As a pastor, you're so thankful that God gives you people that love you and that you can love, right? And, And, uh, because one thing you actually understand as a pastor is how much you really need everybody else. You need them. Not to have somebody to preach to. I'll tell you right now, most of you know this. This is the worst part of ministry. The pulpit is like the worst part. I know it's where we preach and we talk and we teach. But honestly, there's more ministry happening at a birthday. There's more ministry happening. You know, uh, you know what's funny? Let's just talk about the truth of Marble Falls. I have never heard one story of how great Max Copeland was in the pulpit. Nobody tells a story of the sermon they heard that changed their life from Max Copeland. You know what I have heard? How many times he's been at their house drinking sweet tea. Oh, he'd come over and sit on the porch and we'd talk for hours. That's all, like the majority of all stories I've heard from him is how much of his free time he would give up during the week to just go to somebody's house and hang out. The, the story that inspired me from Pastor Womack to want to stay here in Marble Falls and be a long-term pastor and, and invest into a community and give my life for something, right, was because he did a funeral for a guy that didn't even go to his church. Why? Because he spent a lot of time in the fishing boat with him. And he just loved on the guy. And I've yet to hear about how great Pastor Womack was a preacher, but I've always heard how great he was with people. He took them fishing and he took them hunting and he was... Always doing this or always doing that. But it's rarely I ever hear stories about pastors in the pulpit. That's the funniest thing to me. There seems to be a whole lot more ministry that happens outside of the little square here. God sends us people. And those people is where we see Jesus back at us all the time. All the time. Uh, When we have people, they share in our burdens. And it's important that we learn how to be humble enough to allow others to share in our burdens. One of the things Pastor Harris, my... Uh, pastor from Terrell, uh, who's being replaced by my mentor. Uh, incredible uh, turn of events there. Um, my home pastor, he, I always used to say, like, I don't think he ever preached that great. <laughs> we used to laugh most of the time. Like, I'm not sure that made sense at all. But you could not deny his heart for lost people. He'd be in a restaurant, walk right up to people and go, you know, I pastor that church down the street. Do you know Jesus? And I would think that seems just way forward. You know, like, that's probably not how I would do it. But it was crazy how many people I would see him win to Jesus out of just being so direct, you know. And he was so unapologetic about the gospel. And still is to this day. Probably one of the greatest evangelists or evangelistic pastors I've seen. And to me, his worst gift was his preaching. (laughs) But if he got you one-on-one... There was no way you walked away not feeling excited about Jesus or God or you believed that this guy believed in Jesus, man. You were convinced, right? I mean, that's how he was, right? He, he was one of these guys that, that God sends you people like this around you, and then they begin to share your burdens. And then when you live in victory, they share your victory. And one of the things Pastor was really good at teaching is how to humble you. You need to be humbled sometimes. He would make people like, oh, you want your electricity bill handled? So, okay, you know, come to church. Come to church. 
You, oh, you need your water bill taken care of? Oh, yeah, 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 come to church. Come to church. And you know what they had to do? Come to the front. I'm calling you out right now. Your whole family. Bring your whole family up here. Oh, you, I bring your whole family right up here. And today in the age, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people are like, oh, we don't want to embarrass someone. Listen, man, you got to be humble. You need something. The church wants to help, right? But part of helping you is humbling you. Right? That Welcome to the church, man. The humble person is who God loves, right? So he would humble them. They would have to come stand at the front, right? And then God would, and then Pastor would go, Pastor Harris would go, I need like five people right now to stand up and give me 50 bucks. Five people right now. This family needs, they've got a, a hurt in their life. They need, they need this much money. I need five people to stand up and give me that right now. Come walk it up right now. And we're going to hand it to them and you're going to love on them. And they would come one by one and they would hug that family, hug all the kids and they would put a little, we call them Pentecostal handshake, you know, and, and, and put a little money in their hand and like each person would come up and give it, you know. And listen, man, pastor was really good. He, he, we didn't leave service until that happened. Like, all right, we can't get five people with 50. How many? Let's get this many people with 20s. This many people with 10s. He'd get that down. Eventually, he's going to get it. Or if we don't, we're not moving on in service. How many you want to get out before 2 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're held hostage until these needs are met. Right? We used to tell people, listen, you know, if you're going to come to our church, we really wanted to bring people to our church. If you're going to come to our church, we might take up five offerings. Okay? Just bring a lot of dollar bills. Okay? You know, you won't feel awkward when the plate comes by for the fifth or sixth time. You're taking up an offering for some hurting family or something like that. That way you don't feel awkward because even the teenagers, it's like they just brought ones. Just put one and, okay, there goes the offering plate. Here's another offering plate. Okay, here's one, you know. Uh, They're probably hoping like, man, this guy's going to take everything we have, you know. It, it, it was like that, right? Because he, he brought people and he humbled people to accept that and they loved on them. And that's part of being in the church. We try to t- we're, we're so scared we're going to scare somebody off of the gospel. The gospel's terrifying. It's so offensive. When you're worried about somebody scaring somebody, the gospel says that you're horrible. Y'all read that right? You know that, right? The gospel says you're wicked and evil and horrible and all these things. That's why you need Jesus. The hardest part a preacher has to do, i got to convince you how horrible you are. Right? How much you need God because you're wicked. Well, like, I've never really done anything that bad. Have you lied yet? Well, kind of go to hell for those things. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're definitely going to hell, period, right? That's, that sounds awful. You all laugh because you know it's true, right? You've come to accept that fact about the gospel. I'm awful. I'm wicked. I need God. I repent. I see myself for what I truly am. Lord, I know that I need you. And then all of a sudden, God sends other people and goes, yeah, dude, we know how bad we are too. We should all be friends. We're a bunch of people who knows how awful we are, right? And it humbles us. And this is what allows us when somebody else has a hard time in their family, when somebody else is going through difficulty, we're sympathetic, right? And in sympathy, God creates compassion, and in compassion becomes action. Sympathy, nobody, nobody does anything because they're sympathetic. They, sympath, being sympathetic can lead to compassion. When it leads to compassion, now you're being Jesus. We can all feel sorry for people. That's not about what Christianity is. Christianity is about doing something about it, doing something about it. Well, all I can do is pray. Are you kidding me? That's the best thing you can do. Let's start at prayer. Number one thing we can do is pray. Number two, maybe we can physically do something after that. But number one, we must pray. Not That's all we can do. That is the very thing we must do. That's how we share the burdens for each other. That's how we can love each other and care for each other and grow. And then when we experience victory, it's all of our victories, right? right? I'm going to tell you, my kid graduating... Right? If you think it's just, look how good he was a parent to her. Are you kidding me? She wants to be a PA. You think I inspired that? Guess where that came from, right? 
That's what happens when you put godly people in your life and around your kids because you realize you can't do it by yourself. You put godly people in your life and around your friends and they inspire your kids. They inspire your kids, right? When I look at the people God sent me, God sent me Mark, God sent me Eric, God sent me Jared, men to be around me, right? Is it any wonder Rachel wants a business major? Come on. Eric's like a manager. Mark runs like two or three businesses. He can't stop working, right? He's a workaholic. It's true. Right? You think, you think, where do you think they learned that from? It's not from me. I'm the guy who left the being a, 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 a CAD engineer, mechanical engineering job to come pastor and take half a pay cut. They, they don't like that, by the way. My kids don't like that. That doesn't even sound good to them. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't, yeah. They, when they move from the house with a swimming pool that they have really good, this great idea of how awesome it was into this little 1,200 square foot home, they think, man, and, you know, they saw my wife, like, we're going to be poor now. Way good. Good job, Dad. <laughs> yeah, they don't look at that as like victory in the business world for them, you know. It's funny how they both want a business major and they want to go to be a doctor. They want to do things where there's lots of money because they've experienced what it's like now with no money, right? <laughs> Praise God, I have good people in their lives, right? It took more than me. It took you. It took you praying for my kids. It took you helping with your kids. The little things that you say to my kids, the little nuggets that encourage them, give those things. You were the church to my kids. You were Jesus to my kids, Right? This is us. This is, we work together. We live together. We hurt together. We stand together. We fight together. This is how we lead. When things are hard, we step up. We step up. Right? We're about to get this thing remodeled. We're going to get some new people, some new blood up here. They're going to help teach and help instruct and help do things. Right? There's going to be some pain in that. We, we, we might not get the right guy the first time. That's going to be hard. Who knows? Right? Now, I'm praying that it all goes perfect but I also live on the earth. Yeah. But, but let me tell you, God is a good God. There will be no accident. There will only be the journey. There are no accidents. There will only be the journey. And we will go together. Right? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose my wife and kids. I'm not going to lose everything I own. I'm not going to be pillaged and plundered. It's not going to happen. Why? Because I have you. I have you looking after me, and you have me, right? We do it together. This is the church. This is how David did it. He didn't go fight all those guys by himself. No, he fought with those who could go. And for those who couldn't go, maybe they were tired. They were, they were struggling. You know what? The victory was theirs too. It doesn't matter who all is fighting. What matters is that we're together. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in this place, God, and all the things that you're uh, accomplishing through this place and through us, Lord. Father, we know that uh, no matter what happens or what we might come across, God, that it doesn't matter, God, as long as we have you. As long as we have you, Lord. And so even in any moment, Lord, we just begin to worship you. We begin to praise you, God. We begin to lift your voice up. We begin to call upon your name, Lord. And I believe just like David, you will answer. And whether it's to fight and advance and take everything, Lord, or whether it's just to stand strong, God. Father, we believe and we know by faith that you will be there, God. You will hold us as you told um, Moses in your right hand. You will hold us in your right hand. We believe it, Lord. In Jesus' name, will you stand with me and begin to just worship?